All right, good morning. It's great to have your company. Marcus Paul in the morning. 13 12 69 is my telephone number. If you would like to have your say, give us a call. Let us know what's on your mind. It is the third day of February and a Wednesday for my listeners in Sydney. Traffic-wise, we'll check that for you soon, but it's a bit of a quiet old start. Certainly was when I was on my way to work. Partly cloudy today, medium chance of showers, mainly this morning. And tops of around 25 degrees for the city. That's of Sydney. For our listeners up in the uh, mid-north coast region for today, partly cloudy, medium chance of showers for Port Macquarie and Coffs Harbour. Maybe a thunderstorm around the higher ground later today and tops of 26 degrees. And for the Central West, good morning to listeners in Bathurst and Orange sticking with us through till 9 o'clock this morning. Partly cloudy for you, slight chance of a shower in the afternoon and tonight. And maybe a thunderstorm as well in the north later today with tops of around 23 degrees for the central Tablelands. All the news and the views this morning on 13 12 69. If you'd like to give us a call, I'd love to hear from you. What about texts? You can do that, 0458 049 209. And emails directly here to the studio to me, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. So let's get talking. Plenty of news about. Is Craig Kelly really a menace? Alrighty, here we are. Great to have you company. And uh, look, I'm going to start with, unfortunately, a little bit of sad news. Captain Sir Tom Moore uh, has died after contracting COVID-19. You know, the World War II veteran who made worldwide headlines after raising more than $57 million for Britain's National Health Service. Well, the Queen has passed on a private condolence message to his family after they announced the death of Captain Sir Tom Moore uh, last night. I think he was, what was he, 96 or something. Boy, oh boy. Great innings and what a wonderful way of, uh, of, I guess, bringing his life to an end by raising so much money. I mean, it's, it's sad. It's awful. Let's just check his, uh, his actual um, age, if we can, Scruff. I think he was 96. Captain Tur- uh, Sir Tom Moore. He might have been. Meanwhile, back home, and a 14-year-old boy is being treated for stab wounds. You believe this? At 14, the the stab wounds were sustained during an incident in Sydney's west at Shalvey, uh, which is out between, uh, well, out around the St Mary's area. Witnesses have told police they heard a scream and noticed a number of males involved in an altercation in Shalvey at around 20 to 5 yesterday. Several of the males fled in a white car. The injured boy was treated at the scene and taken to the children's hospital at Westmead. Let's hope that this uh, young fellow's right. 14 years of age. Goodness me. Australia's tour of South Africa has been postponed as that country deals with the second wave of COVID-19. Cricket Australia says there's an unacceptable health risk if the Aussie team was to travel overseas. Well, it's probably right. South Africa is currently facing an outbreak of more dangerous 
mutant strain of the virus. It means Australia will most likely miss the inaugural World Test Championship final. Well, at least they'll be safe here in Australia. So the tour of South Africa, the cricket tour, has been postponed. And, of course, you'll be able to talk to the boys this afternoon about it. Talking sport, they'll be on air from 3 o'clock New South Wales Daylight Saving Time. Yeah, he was 100. That's right. Of course he was. Sir Tom. He was recently knighted, but sadly died in the last, uh, well, 24, 48 hours of COVID-19. All right, the federal government is being urged to introduce a program to help support nurses who are entering the workplace. This could include a program to allow for more job opportunities to grad, uh, for graduate nurses. The Australian College of Nurses CEO, Kylie Ward, says 2020 was a, a tough year for nurses. Well, obviously. I mean, that's an understatement, isn't it? I think it absolutely is. Anyway, there's just a couple of things buzzing around. We'll get to all of the big stories for you throughout the course of the morning. Now, what I want to do is talk about what's happening in Tamworth in relation to COVID-19. Tamworth, good morning to you up there at 2TM Tamworth. Listeners in the New England. The option for Tamworth to host a COVID-19 quarantine station at the empty pilot training facility is still on the table, according to the New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian. Now, the Premier was in Tamworth last Friday, and while she was there, she confirmed that the city was in a quote-unquote strong position for hosting a quarantine station. I wonder what the local community think of it. If you're listening to us this morning up there in the New England in Tamworth, give us a call and let us know. Are you happy with Tamworth being used as a quarantine station, so to speak? Give us a call, 13 12 69. But we'll speak to uh, our journo up there, Tony Ambrosetti, for the first time in 2021. Tony will have some details and no doubt uh, some of the public sentiment up there in, in Tamworth. Uh, being a Wednesday, Alex from The Big Smoke will join us. Alex from thebigsmoke.com.au. And also, I'm going to talk about, well, New Start. Is it New Start or is it still Job Seeker? Who knows what it will be reverted to eventually. Kristen O'Connell is the spokesperson for the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. And we know the government is, well, most likely to return to the original job start or new start amount of around $40 a day. Now, I think we all agree it's not enough. It's unproductive. $40 a day, could you imagine it? Could you live on $40 a day? Anyway, we'll speak to Kristen O'Connell about that. Now, $40 a day, of course, was the original new start allowance figure, but... I think we've uh, I think we've spoken to Pauline Hansen about it and a number of others who have arrived at a a figure which they believe around to be seventy to seventy five dollars a day, which might be more sustainable and more productive. What do you make of it? Thirteen, twelve, sixty nine. What do you think the new start allowance should be, or the job seeker allowance should be, when the current uh, what is it now? It's It's been almost doubled, of course. And then now it's been tiered off, but it'll 
come to an abrupt end in the next uh, couple of months? When it does come to an end, what do you think the amount should be? Certainly more than $40 a day, I reckon. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. All right, plenty going on. Give us a call. Australia's only contemporary news talk radio program. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning, 13, 12, 69, if you would like to have your say. Uh, Grants, good morning to you, Grants. Uh, Grant was up late, well, not late, maybe it was late for Grant. It was around about a quarter past seven when, I don't know, he decided that he'd send an, uh, an email with the subject rudeness. Anyway, Grant, I don't know whether you're listening, probably not this early juncture this morning. Uh... I won't know if you've read this out or not, as I refuse to listen to you. The instant there is an inkling of a caller disagreeing with you, you get very personal, you go for the jugular. Then when the caller's finished, you berate them for a time without them being to def- being able to defend themselves. Well, no, only for the nut jobs like Ralph and a few of the crazies that call up um, when I'm on for, for lawsy. Maybe you're one of the crazies, Grant. Anyway, he goes on, do everyone a favour... And get off. You're an imposter. What's with the songs written with your name in them? Oh, you're talking about the jingles? Wow. Um, I wouldn't be the first to do that. What's wrong with this bloke? Please, you've been around for five minutes. Who do you think you are? I know one thing you've got, and that is a huge ego. All right, Grant. I mean, I don't understand people like you. I might have only been around for five minutes, but it's been long enough to give you the shits, at least. I mean, you're not going to listen, but you have to email instead. What's wrong with you? Lawsy, Hadley, Jones, others have been far more harsh on people than I have on the air. Maybe it's because I sound a bit younger, I'm not quite sure. It's called talk radio, it's called reaction radio. Maybe it's time for you to switch over to the nicey nice ABC or perhaps you can switch over to your local FM station and talk about I don't know rainbows and farts all morning maybe that's what they talk about there I didn't know where you're from anyway I got his email address Uh, and uh, look what's wrong with the jingles they're a bit of fun I mean, you've got to have a little bit of a healthy ego. I mean, people who know me know it's, it's not really uh, how I conduct my life each and every day. You know, people don't remember the nice guys. But you seemingly remember. I mean, if I had a nice conversation with a lady the other day on the radio, of which I had plenty, uh, you wouldn't be remembering it. Old mate who's decided to email us overnight... You know, you don't remember all the nice conversations, but you seem to remember all the the apparent nasty ones. And again, it's about 20-odd percent of what I do. It's about 20-odd percent of what Lawsy does. 
you know, people don't remember the nice guys or, you know, the... Uh, wouldn't it be boring if we were always nice and agree in agree- agreement with everybody all the time? I don't know. Maybe I'm looking at this all wrong. 13, 12, 69. I can be nice if you like. I can be nice and middle of the road. Should I be middle of the road, Scruff? No, you're shaking your head. See, it's Justin's fault out there. He's the one that eggs me on. You want to get that phone or what? He's the one who eggs me on. He says, yeah, go for it. Give him apes. So it's his fault. All right. Anyway, I just don't understand uh, why people who decide they don't want to listen to me anymore and yet they take the time to email. Just to, I mean, it's not an airport lounge. You do not need, if you're not going to listen anymore, if you're leaving, you don't need to announce your departure, for goodness sake. No one cares. All right, um, Harry, digital radio coverage. Is that still marking up, is it? Um, All right, why is 2SM no longer playing on my digital radio app? Okay, well, I think we're working on that. I think Justin, poor Justin's taking calls about it already this morning. All right, it looks like our, our 2sm.com.au website for streaming is still down, is it? Oh, well, it doesn't help. All right, 13 12 69, the telephone number if you would like to have you say. Marcus Paul in the morning, we're off to the news. Yeah, okay, welcome back. <laughs> 13 12 69, the telephone number. We'd love to hear from you this morning. Let us know what's on your mind. Now, the text is open as well, 0458 049 209. And emails MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. As if the work of police isn't hard enough. But I, I read with interest that unfortunately a number of officers that went to Reevesby to arrest a man who was wanted on charges. <laughs> Well, they were bitten by a dog. Two officers were taken to hospital after being bitten by a dog during the arrest of this man in Sydney South yesterday. It happened just before two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, This bloke was wanted on three outstanding warrants. When police attended a house in Nina Streets, they were allegedly bitten. Because the bloke who uh, they were after, this 28-year-old, was hiding in a wardrobe when police discovered him there. Obviously, there was a struggle, unfortunately. Uh, The bloke was with a woman, believed to be known to the man, uh, and she was also allegedly hindering police. Now, during the struggle, two officers were bitten by a dog located on the premises. A female detective sergeant sustained lacerations to her shin, thigh, chest and her hands. The male constable was bitten on the hand and also sustained lacerations. So the bloke then ran from the house and into neighbouring properties. He was finally located by officers under a house in Dove Street in Reevesby. Charmer he is. He was then arrested and taken to Bankstown Police Station. He was then taken to Bankstown Hospital due to minor injuries. Well, they're probably... Of course you're going to get injured, mate, if you struggle and fight with police. Moron. Anyway, he's under police guard, apparently, in Bankstown Hospital... Uh, The incident has been referred to the City of Canterbury-Bankstown Council. Inquiries continue. It'll be interesting to see what happens with this animal. I don't know what sort of dog it was, though. I don't know what sort of dog it was. Meanwhile, a man has been injured following an incident at Hurstville overnight. I've got a note here from New South Wales Police that 
at around about 20 past eight last night. Uh, Police and emergency services were called to Gloucester Road at Hurstville following reports that a man had been stabbed. Uh, When they got there, uh, the St George police officers found a 26-year-old man had sustained a stab wound to the chest. The injured man was treated at the scene by Ambos and taken to St George Hospital. He's in a stable condition. Now, officers have established a crime scene and investigations into exactly what's happened here continue, but they're appealing for any witnesses to come forward. Okay, so if you notice this around Gloucester Road at Hurstville last night, you can get in contact with Crime Stoppers. That number, one 800 0 That's one 800 0 Australia's only contemporary news talk radio program. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, uh, one of the big stories that we're waking up to this morning is that the UK pandemic hero, Captain Sir Tom Moore, has ironically and very sadly passed away from COVID-19. So the Queen has led tributes to Captain Sir Tom, the World War II hero who inspired the world with his $57 million COVID-19 fundraiser in the lead-up to his 100th birthday. Well, his family's announced that he has unfortunately succumbed to the virus himself and he's passed away, which is very, very sad news. Give me a call, 13 12 69, if you would like to have your say. This bloke is back in the headlines, the former rugby wallaby star Israel Folau. St George Illawarra say they are comfortable that Israel Folau won't share the same homophobic and offensive views which saw him dump from Australian rugby if he comes back to the NRL. Uh, there are very strong suggestions that that is exactly what's going to happen. What do you make of it? Would you be happy to welcome Israel Folau back to the NRL wearing the big red V? I know that a lot of people, uh, St George and Lawara are one of the most uh, heavily supported clubs in the National Rugby League. If you want to have your say on this, give me a call. If you're a Saints fan, an Illawarra, St George Illawarra fan, give me a call. Let me know. Will he uh, be good for the team? I don't know what the deal will be. Surely he'll make a, a fortune from it. But you've got to remember, I guess a little like Sonny Bill Williams, he's a draw card. And because he's had controversy in the past... Well, people will probably be interested in seeing him running around, and I'm sure he'll he'll still be a very formidable athlete and a very formidable rugby league player. But I'm just wondering, is it worth the risk for the NRL? Or, for that matter, St George Illawarra? Marcus Paul in the morning. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Yes, good morning and give me a call. 13 12 69, my telephone number if you would like to have your say. If you want to send a text, 0458-049-209 and the email is there as well. In 2021, 2SM has Sydney talking. Yep, that email, MP in the morning at 2SM, supernetwork.com. Look, we won't say too much more about this, uh, but uh, there are still some issues. 
obviously with our stream at the moment, the uh, the 2SM website. So uh, the best we've done and the best we can do until the problem is rectified. It's not a problem at our end. Apparently, it's a problem with our streaming service. So uh, the way to listen to the program online is via our Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the Morning. So you just go on Facebook, give the page a follow and a like if you haven't already. Uh, and uh, we've got a, a live stream there, okay? So the normal web stream is unavailable, but for the meantime, you can listen live via our Facebook page. Hopefully that will assist you until we get the uh, the other issue rectified. Marcus Paul in the morning, 13, 12, 69. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, now, a little later this morning, uh, what's coming up on the program? Well, we want to go to Tamworth. Because, uh, as we know, the the Premier of New South Wales, Gladys Berejiklian, was up in uh, the New England late last week. She was there on Friday. And she again hinted that this area of New South Wales would make a a good place for a quarantine station for those with COVID-19. So the option for Tamworth to host a COVID-19 quarantine station at the empty pilot training facility is still on the table, according to the state government's although some locals aren't real happy about it. We'll go to Tony Ambrosietti. Okay, Tony will join us in just under uh, half an hour's time, just over half an hour's time, uh, to give us the rundown on what locals think. Tony from 2TM, our newsroom up there in Tamworth. The Big Smoke with Alex Chelios a little later this morning. We're also tracking down Chris Minns. I want to have a chat to Chris this morning in relation to a number of issues, but in particular... The whole situation here in in uh, in Sydney, and a whole range of other issues that Labor are still having with the New South Wales state government. So Chris Minns on the program a little later this morning. And what about job seeker or the old New Start? Unions are concerned that the government is going to throw it back down to the old forty dollars a day. Many both within the coalition at a federal level and also, obviously, the opposition. And others believe that 40 bucks a day is simply unproductive. What do you make of it? 13, 12, 69. And perhaps you can offer a what you would consider to be a, a fairer amount of money. I think Pauline Hanson on the program, she did. Yeah, Pauline Hanson on the program last year said around 70 to $75 is probably a fairer amount of money to pay those who are looking for work. You've got to remember a lot of people have lost their jobs during the pandemic through no fault of their own, probably due to a downturn in business, border closures, those that work in hospitality, those that work in, in other sectors, tourism, that have been hardest hit by the pandemic. These are the people who will need to be supported going forward with the job seeker allowance, but what should that amount be? There's no way in my mind that 40 bucks a day is going to work for people. I, you know, obviously I agree that you can't keep it at the uh, uh, the more than $1,000 that it's currently sitting at. I mean, it's basically doubled during the pandemic and it's being tiered off, but, you know, what should be the amounts that people should be able to survive on with job seeker. I mean, obviously, you want people getting back to work as soon as possible. Problem is, there's a lot of underemployment here in our country as well. 
not necessarily unemployment, but underemployment. People on short-term contracts. People not being offered full-time jobs, but casual jobs, but still working hours that you would consider more permanent part-time. Give me a call, 13 12 69. Let me know what's on your mind this morning. Well, far be it for me to plug Foxtel, but I think this is a wonderful idea. Australian sports fans will be able to access top-tier events on their devices at a heavily discounted price. That's apparently courtesy of a a big new so-called landmark deal signed between Foxtel's KO Sports and Telstra, our biggest telco. In a union to delight the booming streaming generation, the 3 million Telstra customers who are already signed up to its live pass app will now be eligible to access all AFL and NRL games, including the finals, on KO, as well as 50 local and international sporting fixtures. They'll be available on the various platforms, mobile phone, uh, tablet and television, for only $5 a month. Well, see, what I like about this is that, unfortunately, for a number of, you know, hardcore fans of sport, uh, those that love their rugby league, their union, their AFL, all the rest of it, uh, you know, some people can't afford, particularly seniors and pensioners, they can't afford the standard Foxtel rate. Look, it's not a lot of money every month, but some people simply can't afford it. So that's what's good about this. Uh, It will provide more access to entertainment via sport to older Australians who perhaps can't afford the traditional Foxtel service. So there we go. Other Telstra customers can sign up to the KO deal for $15 a month. Uh, Foxtel's boss, Patrick Delaney, said the deal was aimed at the burgeoning streaming generation who are consuming sport in ever-evolving ways. Good old technology, eh? Give us a call, 13 12 69, if you'd like to have your say on this. Another story uh, today that we'll uh, have a look at. HSC students were apparently marked down in their English exams because their work did not conform to teachers' social values around cultural appropriation and gender stereotyping. Ooh, this is the kind of stuff that would give Mark Latham nightmares. Experts, I don't know who these experts are, I'll get some detail, but apparently they say that activist, quote-unquote, activist markers are hijacking the HSE exam. Why? I don't quite understand. Uh, the, the the headline is School of Hard Woke rather than School of Hard Work. And the allegation is that activist teachers are failing HSE students because these students aren't conforming to the teachers' social values or what they consider to be normal. Boy, oh boy. All right. Great to have you company. It is a Wednesday. It is February the 3rd, 2021. Give me a call. Let me know what's on your mind. Uh, let's go to the open line now. Betty, good morning. How are you? Hi, Marcus. Um, just um, ringing up about the um, dole, and I'm a part age pensioner because yeah. I helped buy my handicapped son 40 years ago. 45 years ago, a place to live in for the rest of his life. Well, aren't you and wonderful? Because of, 
oh, I don't know, because of the assets. Um, and with my super and that, I'm only getting about 300 bucks a week, yeah. which is a real struggle. So I sympathise with all these people that have lost their job. Um, there's no way that anybody can live on any less than 350 a week. They they need really about 420 because yeah. the age pension gets discounts. Yeah. So they really need to have at least 420 just to survive. Yeah. Well, I've got a note here from Mandy. Betty. Mandy says, "Good day, Marcus." Can't live on $870 a fortnight at the moment after rent, fuel, phone, internet, electricity, gas. The cupboards look bare. I'm out again this morning putting more resumes in. It's very tough. Yeah, well, it would be because, you know, they they say that all you got up here on the north coast where I live is casual position. And, you know, nobody's getting permanent work. Well, that's that. Yeah, that's that underemployment that I was talking about as well. We don't hear a lot about it from the government. So when they're spruiking, you know, employment or unemployment figures, what we need to remember is that there are uh, more than a million Australians who are so-called underemployed. That is, you know, working in casual positions, but by doing, you know, almost permanent part-time hours, if you like. Underemployment is it? It's a problem, Betty. Well. The whole the whole system needs to shake up the underemployment and also the people that are on welfare that really need the help. You know, there's no uh, housing, cheap housing. Everything is so expensive. You know, the, they haven't built housing commission houses for years, and it's just it's just ridiculous. They're not looking after the people. I don't know what who they're looking after their own pockets. Oh, I shouldn't say that. Uh, well, who's the federal government looking after? Uh, it would appear big business. I mean, could you imagine if they chased a, a whole right And thank you for the call, Betty. Could you imagine if uh, the federal government chased uh, a number of big businesses who were paying next to zero tax? We could reap in probably billions of dollars, which would have meant we might have been able to afford to increase the pension or increase the new start or job seeker allowance. All I know is that... I guess 40 bucks a day, it certainly can't go back to that. We'll talk about it a little later this morning. Kristen O'Connell will join us. Kristen is the spokesperson for the Australian Unemployment Union, and she'll have uh, some sobering stats for us, no doubt. We're also going to catch up with Tony, Tony Ambrosetti uh, from our 2TM sister station in Tamworth. Good morning to you up there. Uh, the option for Tamworth to host a COVID-19 quarantine station in an empty pilot training facility is still on the cards. What do the locals think about it? We'll speak to Tony about that issue. Chris Minns uh, will join us after 7 o'clock from the New South Wales opposition. And also Alex in the Big Smoke after 7.30. That's what's on the agenda so far this morning, but we'd love to speak to you as well. 13 12 69, the telephone number. All the news and your views with Marcus Paul in the morning. Let's have a look at the weather. Uh, for Sydney today, partly cloudy, maybe a shower or two, mainly this morning, a mostly fine afternoon, tops of around 25 degrees. Uh, for those listeners in Bathurst and Orange, good morning to you in the central Tablelands. Slight chance of a shower this afternoon and tonight. Maybe a thunderstorm in the north later and tops of 23 degrees. And for listeners up on the mid-north coast, partly cloudy today. 
Medium chance of showers, maybe a thunderstorm around the higher ground this afternoon and tonight. And tops of around 26 degrees for the areas between Port Macquarie and Coffs Harbour. All right. Hello, Chris. How are you, mate? Not too bad, Marcus. Yourself? All right, thank you. Israel Folau, is he worth the risk? Israel Folau, yes, I think so. Absolutely. I didn't like what happened to him to start with. And the term homophobic, it's a bit like arachnophobia or claustrophobia. It, it speaks of an irrational fear of something, and it's not fair to say irrational if you're scared of it. Um he just disagrees with something. It'd be it'd be a bit like calling a voter liberal phobic or or no, Labor well, not really. No, 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 no. Because voters aren't being don't uh, voters aren't being paid. You know, a pretty penny to vote. So let's be fair. I mean, I the, don't think he's being paid to have an opinion. That's just his opinion. No, but he's being paid in a commercial operation by, you know, if you go back to Rugby Australia or something, he's being paid a fortune to play rugby. That's what he so should is do. It, is it in his contract that he's got to agree with certain... It doesn't facts? matter. If he brings if he brings the game into disrepute by making comments that sponsors and others believe are ill-informed and also believe are wrong uh, and, you know, not in tune with uh, their operation or their business model, then they are within their rights to do what they've done with Israel. Oh, I'm not saying they're not within their rights if mm. he breaks a contract. I'm just saying he has the right to have an opinion. Absolutely. But while he's playing rugby, he should probably not Body use that. And not have an opinion. Well, yeah, because, the, I mean, that, it comes down to, in my, in my view, the whole issue of politics and sport not mixing. I just want to yeah, see... Right. I want to see Israel play some great football. I want to remember the bloke for, you know, running down the wing and scoring a try. Absolutely. Absolutely Um, is. Look, the federal government, talking about money. Yeah, mate. I don't know if you've heard this or not, but apparently Australia is paying for Cambodia's um, vaccine program. Well, we have made, yes, uh, well, and a number of other countries, Australia and some of the wealthiest countries around the globe have ensured through a fund that all uh, other nations uh, are able to vaccinate their populations, poor nations. I mean, I would hate to think that people in Cambodia, one of the uh, most disadvantaged nations on earth, can't be vaccinated against COVID-19 simply because they have a corrupt government or a government can't afford to inoculate its its population. But yes, that is that is true, Chris. Oh, I agree in that sense. And Gladys Berejiklian and Tamworth. Mm. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Anastasia Palaszczuk floated some kind of idea like that. Yep. It was the worst idea on the planet. And, like, this week, apparently, Gladys's idea is a brilliant idea. <laughs> well, I suppose it depends on who you talk to. I don't know. Let's hope that they're not needed. Let's hope a quarantine... Oh, Tamworth wouldn't be happy. Well, we'll find out. I'll speak to the, our reporter up in Tamworth in the next uh, 25 minutes about that. Chris, great call as always, mate. You have a wonderful day. I appreciate it. Look, what do you make of this at 14 after 6? Bearing in mind that it's a News Corp exclusive and we know that they often like to be divisive. 
HSE students were apparently marked down in their English exams and assessments because their work did not conform to teachers' social values around cultural appropriation and gender stereotyping. Education experts say the exams have been hijacked by activist markers unfairly applying their own progressive judgments about what is culturally appropriate in students' work. Really? Thank God I did uni and my HSC and all of my schooling prior to all of this political correct rubbish that goes on. Feedback from the New South Wales Education Standards Authority released this week said students could improve by, quote, considering appropriate concepts that have cultural sensitivity and are relevant to current times and avoiding cultural appropriations that rely on familiar or offensive stereotypes. What? All right. I don't know whether that's really the way uh, to be operating a syllabus. I really don't. Honestly. I mean, that's what teachers, some of teachers' biggest gripes are. I put up a link on our social media page so you can have a read of it yourself. Uh, But teachers' biggest gripes uh, for English Extension 2, they say that students could improve by considering appropriate concepts that have cultural sensitivity and are relevant to current times and avoiding cultural appropriations that rely on familiar or offensive stereotypes. Students could improve by avoiding gender stereotyping, such as grandfathers as returned war veterans who were heroes hiding their trauma, or grandmothers as the family matriarch sharing cultural values and recipes. Well, what, the, what the hell's wrong with that? I mean, our grandfathers were the ones that did fight in the war, and our grandmothers were the family matriarchs who looked after... Uh, the home front, if you like. Uh, are we not allowed to say home front anymore, for God's sake? Boy, oh boy. Uh, here we go. In economics, the biggest gripe from teachers is the confusion between the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. Uh, for English Extension 1, material such as animated children's films, juvenile artwork and video online games will not allow for an effective demonstration of knowledge and understanding, particularly in relation to form. Well, I, I sort of agree with that. I kind of agree with that. Uh, but, I don't know, a teachers perhaps being too woke if you like, or being too politically correct when it comes to assessing our children. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I would hate to think that teachers are using their social values around cultural appropriation and gender stereotyping, you know, having these issues in mind when they're marking students. Shouldn't we just mark on uh, their ability to express themselves even if you disagree with it? I mean, isn't that what it's all about, free speech? Shouldn't teachers be marking students on their ability to express themselves, even if it is against this so-called new norm of gender stereotyping and being culturally appropriate? It's not against the law to be culturally inappropriate. And I would imagine it shouldn't people, you know, kids shouldn't be marked down for it if that's their opinion. And if they want to make an argument and make a good argument that goes against the morals 
of a teacher, if you like, then they should be marked on the basis of that argument, not on whether or not uh, the teacher has sensitivities to the content. Jesus, I think anyway, uh, or am I wrong here? I can remember the time when you were when you were marked on, you know, you're assessed on your knowledge, your writing ability, uh, your, um, you know, the way you constructed an argument and presented an argument in an essay form, and there was none of this other rubbish coming into it. I mean, maybe there is some truth. Education experts say the exams have been hijacked by activist markers unfairly applying their own progressive judgments about what is and what is not culturally appropriate in students' work. How about we have teachers who just teach? Leave the cultural appropriation and your own morals and your own values and your own prejudices, if you like, Leave them at home before you hop into the car and go to work at school. 2SM has Sydney talking. Oh my goodness, John Laws, we're the survivors. 2SM has Sydney talking. Australia's only contemporary news talk radio program. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right. 23 minutes after six in relation to uh, Tamworth uh, and the possibility of that city hosting return quarantining travellers. Well, we know there's been discussions about it. While the New South Wales response to COVID-19 is enviable, I see Kevin Anderson, MP, uh, who's the local federal member, says he has grave concerns about any proposal that would put regional communities at unnecessary risks, including Tamworth. Uh, Kevin Anderson said, my priority is the safety of our local community. Everyone wants a quarantine system that is robust and effective. And he believes that the proposal by the New South Wales government for a quarantine station at Tamworth, at the old empty pilot training facility, is too great a risk for the local community up there. What do you make of that? 13 12 69 is the telephone number. Uh, Another story this morning that's Caught my attention, patients and staff across New South Wales have sounded the alarm about a crisis in the state of country hospitals, telling of wards that look like they've been hit by tornadoes, hospitals requesting people bring their own bandages, and doctors trying to mend broken bones over video link. Well, there's no surprise. Really, we've, we've been speaking about this forever with the state opposition. A parliamentary inquiry has been told lives are being endangered by an overburdened system plagued by chronic staff shortages. No shit. Come on. Really, you're just discovering this now at the Herald? The victims include a 92-year-old man sent away from hospital with a broken neck and a broken hill man whose cancer went undiagnosed for 15 months while he awaited an urgent colonoscopy. The inquiry heard Griffith Base Hospital requested one patient's relatives bring their own bandages to dress a leg wound. What? We need to be doing much, much better than this. And look, it's being, it has been called out by plenty of people here in New South Wales. And yet, apparently, if you talk about these issues, you're a whinger. And you're, a, a, you know, a negative Nancy. Poor Jody McKay, leader of New South Wales Labor, 
I mean, people to say, oh, Jody, shut up. You're such a whinger. But these are the issues she's been talking about. Finally, someone in the mainstream's decided, oh, well, we better pay this a bit of attention. People are dying. It's ridiculous. Marcus Paul in the morning. You want a Mac? What a great song in excess. Need you tonight, Marcus Paul in the morning. I see Malcolm Roberts from One Nation has warned the Federal Coalition that his party doesn't believe its industrial relations reforms will have a significant impact on COVID-19 recovery. And it has a long way to go to win support for the omnibus bill. Uh, Well, Pauline Hanson did, uh, I guess, hint at this yesterday. One night when she spoke to me on the program here, One Nation's industrial relations spokesman made the comments to The Guardian yesterday as Labor continued to attack the government in question time over expanded powers for businesses affected by COVID-19 to cut workers' pay. The omnibus bill released in December has sparked a major political fight between the governments, unions and Labor, which resolved on Tuesday at its caucus to oppose the bill. Well, really? I mean, I no kidding. They were always going to oppose the bill because they believe it attacks workers' rights, and I tend to agree with them. Employer groups are lobbying through a Senate inquiry for a two-year phase-in period, or if you like, an amnesty for small and medium enterprises against new proposed criminal penalties for businesses that underpay staff. The call is backed by the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry and Council of Small Business Organisations of Australia. Malcolm Roberts said, although industrial relations is important for economic growth, it is less so than energy and tax policy. And he says that the government's current bill raises more questions than it does answers in relation to, well, industrial relations. News time now, 6.30. Marcus Paul in the morning. Give Marcus a call. 13 12 69. Yep, and you can send us an email as well. MP in the morning at 2SM Super Network and follow us online. Uh, now, our live stream today is via our Facebook page until we sort out a couple of issues there. It's uh, beyond our control, but uh, Jenny Mooney is listening to our live stream on Marcus Paul in the morning on Facebook and she says... Rest in peace, Sir Tom Moore. Such a tragic loss. Well, absolutely. If you're just waking up and you're yet to catch up with the news, Sir Thomas Moore, who was knighted by the Queen in the last six months, has sadly succumbed, quite ironically, but certainly tragically, to COVID-19. A hundred years young, and he raised some $57 million in the fight against the pandemic for the National Health Service in the United Kingdom. And I know he'll be sadly missed. Morning, Mick. How are you, mate? Salutations, mate. I'm very well, thank you. Excellent. A couple of quick things I'd like to talk about. Would you just two quick things? One is, yes, we will have to somehow pay for all the money that's been spent on the COVID. Okay, somewhere along the line, we're going to have to raise more money for it. Mark my words, it will be the uh, pensioner and the self-funded retiree, the superannuant, who they'll kick first. They get the blame for everything. They're our scapegoats because... Well, we view them as fat cats, we view them as greedy people, Ebenezer Scrooges, that sit on all these piles of money. Mm. I think the ones we should be making pay for it, because they got nothing out of all this, remember? They didn't get double their pensions or a COVID allowance on their pension for 12 months that allowed them to go and do whatever. The ones that should be paying for this are those who got something out of it, us workers. 
we had wage subsidies, we had everything. Yep. But mark my words, they will attack the pensioner. Because there's a really interesting study you should read one day, the history of scapegoating. Oh, mark, really? It's a really interesting study, I, yeah. I tell you now. Hmm. And it goes back to pre-biblical times. Every society has, has them. They're very useful, scapegoats. It can stop violence. But that's who we view as scapegoats. The other one, Marcus, is this crisis in our hospitals. It's not just in our hospitals. It's in many government departments, but our hospitals in particular. I think our governments need to have a good look at all departments and find all these positions that they should cut, like anyone whose job it is to make sure that there's gender awareness in our speech in the department. Someone who's the officer to make sure we don't use words like husband, wife, son, daughter. Anyone who's responsible for cultural or gender awareness within our departments. We can bring our own gender awareness with us. We can't bring our own bandages with us. People who want to create culturally safe spaces at $30,000 a lot, their position should be let go. And the person who put them in that position should be let go and spend that money on a hospital. Well so said. start cutting all this rubbish. I agree. All rubbish. Yeah, well said, mate. Absolutely, Mick, you're right. I mean, no hospital anywhere in the state of New South Wales or a first, uh, you know, or a developed nation where it's supposed to be amongst the best in the world. I mean, for God's sake, why should any hospital anywhere in this state have BYO bandages, for goodness sake? Marcus, the, the terms that governments use, it's very tricky nowadays, this new speak. They use to get us to waste money and to follow them. There's things like they say, uh, a safer workplace. Everyone would agree we should have a safer workplace. Well, of course. Yep, we're going to have safer, work, safer workplace officers. Now, here's our version of what a safer workplace should look like. Mm. Don't use words like husband, wife, son, <laughs> daughter. Oh, for God's sake. Same with, we want safer schools. We want safer this. We want to recycle our assets. Don't you agree with recycling? It's a good thing. Good. What it's called is privatisation. Of course it is. is. Absolutely. And it's all They find these newspeak words for it in this modern culture. And people just go along with it. Mm. We've got to stop the rot and get back to just fixing the basics, mate. Well, absolutely. And uh, you want to create a safe space for uh, the education department? Then put more bloody air conditioners in hot, demountable classrooms. That pr- yes. that provides a much safer space than any culturally appropriate $30,000 safe room, for God's sake. Marcus, I'll tell you something about education, because I've been in the game for many, many years. Yeah. You want to do something about it, and I'm not in primary education, but you want to do something positive about education in this country, primary schools. Don't worry about the flash new high schools with high-tech this and high-tech that. It's all useless. Put the money into primary schools, extra teachers' aides, extra teachers, extra support, and you will have high school kids who can actually, believe it or not, like maths because they can do their times tables. Yep. Show me a high school kid that hates maths, I'll show you one that can't do their times tables. They didn't learn things by rote. They didn't learn the rules of maths and the rules of grammar. Yeah. Put money into primary schools, not into culturally aware spaces or gender bender awareness or anything like that. Put it straight into primary schools and hospitals. Just common sense, Good morning, just common sense, I would have thought, Nick, and you're speaking it. Thank you for the call. And now on Marcus Paul in the Morning, all the news and views from the Northwest. Tony Ambrogetti. Yeah, for the first time in 2021. I know it's uh, the 3rd of February, but I want to say Happy New Year to you, Tony. How are you, mate? I'm good, thanks. Thanks. Happy New Year to you, too. Welcome back to Marcus Paul in the Morning. And uh, how are things up there in, in beautiful Tamworth? Yeah, it's looking all right today, nice and sunny. Yeah. 
Is it green uh, with uh, some recent rain? Is, is it going okay up there so far as the drought's concerned? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Tamworth has finally gotten down to level one water restrictions, um, which is a reprieve. We had some really good rain over Christmas period yeah. uh, that lifted us out of drought. Wonderful. Now, this story that seems to be gathering more momentum up there in your neck of the woods is perhaps the use of an old facility for a COVID-19 quarantine station. Look, what is uh, the local public saying in relation to this? Yeah, that's right. So the council owns um, an airport uh, pilot training facility, which is kind of like a bit of a hotel situation, and it's been empty for some time now. And so their idea is to reuse this as a quarantine hub, uh, but there's been a large amount of backlash from the local community who think the risks are just too high. Yeah. Uh, I noticed, uh, I think, the local federal MP not too impressed about this. He says that it's a risk that he doesn't want taken in his local community. Uh, I mean... Yeah, so our federal MP, Barnaby Joyce, he's actually for the proposal. Okay. Uh, but our state MP, Kevin Anderson, ah, that's right. he's against it. I spoke to him this morning, actually, and he brought up a lot of valid points that we don't really have the resources, both in health and in the police, to, you know... Um, mask, stand there and take guard of this and then if it was to break out our hospital wouldn't necessarily have the capacity to deal with it. We also have a lot of um, abattoirs and meat processing plants around here that are a great boost to the economy with jobs and um, processing for food for the rest of the state and as we saw in Melbourne that was a hot spot. Yeah, that's right. I mucked that up before. Uh, Kevin Anderson is the state MP. He's against it. He thinks the risk is too great. But Barnaby Joyce, you, did you say Barnaby is for it? Yes, that's right. So he's a proponent for this going forward. He thinks it would be a great way to use a facility that's been empty for some time now. How far uh, away from uh, town is it, if you like? I'm not quite sure where this facility is. Sure. So it's right next to our airport, which um, isn't being used as often, but it's about 20 minutes from the centre of town. Mm. Uh, Regularly used, though, by people. They're building um, a lot of new houses out there. And um, let's be honest, almost everything is about a 15-minute drive out here. Yeah, fair enough. All right. But in general, uh, what are you hearing on the streets of Tamworth from from the average punter? You know, those that visit the shopping centre, the butchers, uh, those that work in and eating cafes, grab their coffees, etc. What are people saying, Tone? So the majority of people are against this. They think the risk is too high. We haven't had any positive cases of COVID-19 here in almost 12 months, and they want to keep it that way. Uh, We cancelled the Country Music Festival just the other week um, to keep the community safe and not bring the um, virus to town. So people are questioning why would we, you know, almost take that risk to a new level by having quarantine here. And um, the Premier was in town last week and she kind of commented saying, we did it with the New Zealand Warriors and so it's a successful model. Mm -hmm. However, the difference there is that New Zealand is the lowest risk country when it comes to COVID-19 cases. Whereas if we were going to accept the plane with multiple people from, you know, the US or the UK, I think that's a whole new level of risk. And that's what our community thinks as well. All right, Tony, always great to have you on the program. Uh, by the way, the uh, the 2TM Tamworth cookbook, I, I'd love to say that I made a few recipes out of uh, out of it over Christmas, but I'd be fibbing. Oh, actually, that's not true. I didn't. I did. I did turn to it once. I had a crack at your spaghetti recipe, and I did. I think I did pretty well. 
Excellent. You'll have to send me some pictures next time. Well, uh, yes, uh, next time I do it. I didn't think of it at the time. I should have. But uh, did it taste good, Marcus? Oh, it was, was okay. Oh, all right. Well, maybe I'll have to cook it for you. Well, maybe. Uh, when I say it was okay, I'm not having a crack at the recipe. I'm, I'm more having a crack at my cooking efforts. <laughs> all right. Uh, maybe you need to, you know, I have a bit more Italian blood in you to actually get it right, Tone. That's the problem, see? Yeah. All right, mate. Well, you take care. Thank you for your chat this morning. We'll talk to you in the next couple of weeks uh, about news from the northwest up there at 2TM. Take care. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye. See you later. All right, there she is, our Northern Rivers, or sorry, I beg your pardon, our New England correspondent, Tony Ambrogetti from the newsroom up there. Marcus Paul in the morning. Where's Lima, L-I-M-A? Is that, that's in South America, isn't it? I'm pretty sure it is. Have a listen to this story. A lawyer faces being disbarred for life after he was caught having sex during a virtual court hearing being held on Zoom. (laughs) Hector Robles was taking part in the trial of a Peruvian gang in the middle of the proceedings, apparently unaware his camera was on and his mic was off. He could be seen stripping off and having sex with a woman believed to be his client who was allegedly connected to the gang. <laughs> ah, I mean, I've heard of pro bono, but never before have I heard of pro bono. Sorry, I couldn't resist. I couldn't. Re- it was there. Okay. Anyway, a court assistant repeatedly tried to warn Mr. Robles, but to no avail. The judge eventually had to halt the proceedings. <laughs> All right, I better, I better shush now before I get myself into real trouble. It's ten to seven. Marcus Paul in the morning. Genuine talk on the radio. Marcus Paul in the morning. Who are the biggest donors or bribers of our politicians, Michael? Well, with Clive Palmer, as you know, he gave himself that $10 million. He gave his own party. So he is the biggest. <laughs> and it was to himself. Now, how this can be regarded as a tax deductible donation <laughs> is anybody's guess. But Only in Australia. One. Marcus, Paul in the morning. Okay, welcome back. 13 12 69. That's my telephone number. If you would like to have you say. Uh, now, after seven, Chris Minns, uh, the member for Cogra, will be on the program. Not even the Harbour Bridge is safe, according to Chris. Uh, recent upgrades to the railway lines, uh, which were done over the Christmas New Year period over the Sydney Harbour Bridge. You would have thought maybe some great Australian know-how and some great Australian manufacturing might have provided the products that were used for this iconic Australian masterpiece that is the Sydney Harbour Bridge. But you'd be wrong. <laughs> I mean, is there anything that Gladys's mob won't offshore. $4 million worth of Italian steel. The bolts that were used to put all the steel together. You think, were they made? Surely, surely they've been made here in Australia. Nope. They came from the United States. $1.2 million worth of bolts. Oh, okay, what about the concrete? Surely the concrete. Nope. Half a million dollars worth of apparent Malaysian concrete. And it goes on. 
Uh, other construction material came from places like China to the tune of $380,000. Well, Chris Min says if the Libs won't use Australian steel for the Harbour Bridge, what chance does domestic manufacturing have? I'll speak to him about this in just a couple of moments. Uh, good morning to our listeners at 2EL in Orange. Great to have you on board this morning. Orange City Council will investigate ways of keeping Northern Distributor Road tidy. That's the Northern Distributor Road. Uh, there have been a number of councillors complaining about rubbish that's lining the roadside and causing some issues. Councillor Tony Maletto raised the issue during Orange City Council's first meeting for 2021, which was held last night at Chambers. I mean, he basically says there's so much rubbish and crap around, he can't believe it. It's estimated that it will cost council around $11,000 annually to collect all this rubbish along the distributor. Uh, They've even floated the idea of a blitz on drivers tossing out rubbish and wondered whether cameras could be set up. Well, yes. Why don't you get somebody out there and start finding them? Get a ranger there and get on top of it because obviously it's very unsightly. News time, 7 o'clock. Check out Marcus Paul. Why don't you give him a call on the telephone? Here at the Grant Goldman Studios at 2SM. On this Wednesday, it is February the 3rd, 2021, 13, 12, 69. MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. If you would like to send us an email, Wayne has been online. I think any extra cash governments have should be thrown toward youths, getting them off the streets and giving half of them some self-confidence and self-esteem. Even if you help one young person, that's one less that will have some sort of life. Well, Wayne, yes, but not all young people are off the rails. There are obviously a lot, but not all of them. I'd say they're in the vast minority. Now, in response to reports in Georgia, Lawara Dragons have submitted a formal application to the NRL to sign Israel Folau. Pride in Sport, the national not-for-profit program that supports Australian sporting organisations and clubs in all aspects of LGBTQ inclusion, has issued a statement. Views previously expressed by Mr Falau about LGBTQ people do not reflect the standards and expectations that exist today in Australia. His past statements about our communities work in direct opposition to the significant progress on acceptance and inclusion that is being made by sporting codes, clubs and organisations across the country. If the St George Illawarra Dragons go down this path, there is an expectation there will be a zero-tolerance policy on harassment and discrimination. Well, uh, well, Israel Folau has basically turned around and said, yes, he will stay off social media. 
and he will agree to a clause in his contract that basically says that he'll just play football and not use uh, the profile of rugby league and not use the platform of the sport to espouse his religious views. And I think fair enough, to be honest. Look, I've got no problem with Israel Folau coming back to the sport. It'll put more bums on seats. And well done uh, to Saints if they picked him up. He'll be an asset to the club. Not only, uh, you know, providing some skill on the field, but the young blokes, the up-and-comers who are wearing the red V, will no doubt be buoyed by his presence within training and on the field during the big games. So I think it's okay. 13, 12, 16, if he obviously doesn't start hijacking the sport like he did with Union. All right, I mentioned just prior to us going to the news at 7 o'clock that I was disappointed again to learn that not even our Sydney Harbour Bridge is safe. What on earth am I talking about? Well, recent upgrades to the bridge, including uh, rail track work over the Christmas period, has seen and highlighted yet again that the state government doesn't think we can manufacture or do things efficiently enough here in our state of New South Wales. The Shadow Minister for Transport is Chris Minns. Good morning to you, Chris. Marcus, how are you? Well, thank you, mate. It's good to talk to you. Four million bucks worth of Italian steel, $1.2 million worth of American bolts, half a million dollars worth of Malaysian concrete, 380 grand going to a Chinese construction firm for material. Is there anything that the Libs won't offshore? Yeah, look, it's an Australian icon. Wouldn't it be great if it was built in Australia? And um, the real tragedy of this is that this is a great opportunity for Australian industry and Australian steel to really get a leg up in an incredibly challenging period. Now, we've got Aussie steel that we're trying to export to foreign markets right now. And when the New South Wales government doesn't even have confidence in it and instead is purchasing it from Italy... I think it's an absolute disgrace. Every industrialised country in the world is currently working on improving their industry and backing local jobs. We Mm. should be doing exactly the same thing. But I'm confused. Isn't it the Premier of New South Wales that says her government is all about a COVID-19 recovery and jobs, jobs, jobs? And yet here we are. If we won't use Australian steel for, you know, the iconic coat hanger, what chance do domestic manufacturers have? Yeah, I think that the message hasn't gotten through to the Transport Minister, Marcus. Before the pandemic, the government was on a buying spree around the world, prioritising Korean trains and um, Chinese and Indonesian-built ferries. When the pandemic hit, we were promised a change, and um, the New South Wales government told the taxpayers of this state, look, we're going to have to back local jobs, particularly in the regions, and get behind some of these industries that are doing it very tough. If the government's a a purchaser of this, it guarantees contracts, guarantees jobs, and, you know, there's a multiplier effect because it means that there's money in the pockets of people that live in these communities, so they spend it at the shops, the supermarkets, everywhere, everywhere else. I don't think the message got through to the transport minister, though, and uh, when the pandemic hit, business as usual should have stopped, and these senior government bureaucrats should have said, well, can we source these materials locally? And if the answer is yes, buy, buy, buy. Well, I guess that's the what, question... That's what the US is doing, that's what Europe yeah. is doing. We need to be doing the same thing. 
The question is, can we, Chris? All right, well, let's let me play devil's advocate here. I'm going to sit on the fence, splinters and all, and say, well, can we manufacture what is required here in New South Wales, and can we do it at a competitive price? Yes, Australian steel is world-class. There's the steel plants in Western Sydney, obviously a massive one in Newcastle and Wollongong, and they they produce steel at a world-class level right around the world, ready and willing to service the Australian needs. All they need is the New South Wales government to knock on their door. Um, so, look, have not only... I'd say this, Marcus, mm. not only is it is it appropriate and good enough for Australian uh, domestic manufacturing and Australian use, it's it's world-class. We should be focusing on export markets around the world to sell this. This should be an opportunity for us to expand these industries. Um, but if the Australian, if, if Australian governments won't get behind them, what chance do we have? All right, just moving on quickly to another issue, Chris. Since you and I last spoke, uh, we we talked about the rat race and the rat runs around your local area uh, because of that toll, that new toll on an old road on the M5. So, you know, Forest Road, Bexley Road, Stony Creek Road, King George's, they're all jam-packed these days because people just can't afford to hop on and pay this extra toll. The latest in this whole debacle comes courtesy of the Transport Minister who over the weekend refused to rule out a certainly a, a toll heading north on the Harbour Bridge and Harbour Tunnel which again would be a new toll uh, and of course increased tolls to pay for future roads. I mean it, this is begetting, this is becoming well dare I use it the word toll mania. Yeah, it's toll mania. There's too many toll roads in Sydney and the toll roads we have are just too expensive. It won't surprise your listeners, Marcus, to know that we are the most tolled city on earth. Mm. And when you speak to government ministers or they're on television, they keep saying, oh, well, this is the only way to build infrastructure. What are you all talking about? Understand this. The M5 will be paid off 17 times over by the end of the contract, courtesy of New South Wales motorists. Now, that's not a way to pay for infrastructure. I think it's a world-class rip-off. People of Western Sydney at the moment are copying it, and if they apply the same rules to the Harbour Bridge, then those travelling from the Central Coast and the North Shore, they'll be hit hard too. Mm. So, look, it is a toll mania. A lot of these decisions were made four or five years ago, and no one did the due diligence where they thought, what is the ability to pay for average Sydney families. Yeah. No one thought about it. And when you, if you think about it, this is just for the M5 portion of the toll road. So it's only a couple of kilometres, Marcus. But if you use that every single day mm. of your working life, it's an extra $3,000 a year. Yep. Well, that's today. Uh, that, that's a massive tax but, mate, on that's people today. who can't afford it. Um, okay. That's today. Can you imagine what it's going to cost in, I don't know, three, four, five years' time, if it's too expensive today, how the hell are people going to be able to afford it when these toll roads are able to increase at twice the rate of inflation, 4%, give or take, every every year? Well, what goes up 4% a year? Nothing. You know, it's it double the rate of inflation, way beyond the ability of people to pay for it. And let me, let me explain this. I think this is important. Mm. The only reason it wouldn't go up 4% is if inflation was higher than 4%. And then guess what? The toll road jumps even higher than that. And now when Andrew Constance is asked about that, because he's, he's done radio interviews, Marcus, where 
people ring up and say, I can't afford to pay these tolls. His response is, well, give the toll road company a call and see if they'll give you a discount. That's not a government response to a problem initiated by the government. They need to be far, far more responsive oh, to with a how buck, difficult with, this is. Yeah, with a pass like that, uh, the Dragons, mate, they can forget signing Izzy. Uh, they should sign somebody, including Andrew Constance, because I tell you what, that's one of the best passes of the buck I've ever heard. Yeah, it's a real hospital pass. Um, well, it is the for the people of New South Wales in particular as well. Yeah, absolutely. Look, they can't afford to pay it. They're going on suburban uh, streets. The government says, oh, look, you've got a choice. You can pay the toll or join a long queue. Look, it's no choice at all. And we can't have these monopoly toll roads <laughs> no. gripping Western Sydney. It's not a choice. It's essentially economic blackmail. That's what it is. It's economic blackmail on the people of Sydney and New South Wales. In other words, tell you what, if you uh, are a, a young person starting a family, maybe the wife's not working at the moment because she's rearing children, etc., and you can't afford to sit on a toll, which will give you a far better run into work because you're working you know, up to 10 hours a day, effectively doing two jobs because you need to pay for the exorbitant cost of living, but we'll increase the tolls. And I'll tell you what, if you can't afford it, well, tough. You can hop on one of the, the back streets. It's a toll yeah. that's available and will continue to be available for those with the deepest pockets at the expense of the vast majority of Sydney siders in, in the western suburbs in the southwest and northwest of the city. It's okay if you live in, in you know, Kirribilli or somewhere on the North Shore or the Northern Beaches. It's okay for people like Andrew Constance and Gladys there at Northbridge who, you know, effectively earn quite a good uh, uh, salary package, and that's fair enough. But they're not thinking of people out in the western suburbs. They're selling off what should be a right in this country, and that is to drive on our roads. Yes, I know it's a privilege, I understand that. But still we pay, we pay a princely sum already for that right. We're paying registration on our vehicles, compulsory CTP. And all the other tolls, all the other costs associated with looking after your vehicle, I mean, what for God's sake, what's the fuel excise? It costs a fortune to drive anyway, let alone being ripped off because you want to get to work maybe a little quicker. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I could have said it better myself. Absolutely right. And, you know, you think about the people who can least afford to pay it. Unemployment's increased to its highest level in over a decade. This is the time when we should be thinking about families not slugging them harder with uh, with tolls that they can't afford to pay. 4% a year, double the rate of inflation. Toll roads are just too expensive. And they don't care, Chris. All right, mate, thank you. Thanks, mate. All the best. Talk soon. Shadow Minister for Transport, Chris Minns, his colleague, I see, has talked more about this toll mania. John Graham, here he is. Labor's campaigning against what the Premier called toll mania. That's the fact that tolls go up 4% every year, but wages are barely going up at all. It's the new tolls on old roads with no improvement, and it's the fact there's no toll-free period when toll roads open. That's what we're opposed to, and we're opposed to it because it's simply got too much for the ordinary driver, for the average family, who can't afford what some families in Sydney are paying, $6,000 a year in tolls. That's just too much. That's toll mania. Well, it is. And I'm sorry if I sound like a broken record on this, but I'll be banging on about it up until the next election. Something needs to change. Something needs to be done to help out motorists in Sydney's west, southwest and northwest.
because this toll mania is becoming too hard a burden to bear. All right, Keith, are you there, mate? Morning, Keith. Good morning, Marcus. Marcus, I spoke to you a couple of weeks ago yeah. regarding the um, seniors' travel card, New South Wales seniors' travel card. You did say that you'd look into the yeah. the disability pensioners of age, pension age, mm. have been blocked out from getting it. Well, here, I've got the detail here to be eligible. Yeah. That's it. Uh, to be eligible for this trial, you must have reached the age pension age, live in the yep. designated regional area of New South Wales outside of Sydney, Newcastle and Wollongong, be yep. receiving support from either Services Australia or the Department of Veterans Affairs. As follows, Services Australia must be receiving the age pension or a Commonwealth yep. Seniors Health Card holder, Department yep. of Veterans Affairs. You must be receiving the age pension, service pension, disability pension under the Veterans Entitlements Act, war yes. widow pensioner, or hold a Commonwealth Seniors Health Card. That's exactly right. Now, I applied for it last year and was knocked back because I am on the disability pension, but I am of age pension age. And after a period of time, I got a... a E- uh, email on my phone saying, yes, you are now eligible. I applied for the card. They gave me the card and I used it. Great. This year, I applied again and didn't get it. I've, I've contacted the minister's office and uh, I've been put through to people from the transport. We made an error last year. All right, that so, was a mistake. Okay, cut to the chase. Why can't you get it? Why are you ineligible for this card? Because that was how they set it up when they no, did no, it but, in us. Okay, but tell me, just yeah. for my listeners, yeah. why are you ineligible? I, I don't know. They won't say. Well, hang they, on. They, they need to tell you why. Is it because you're on a disability pension and not yes, a normal I, pension? I, yeah, that's it. I'm on a disability pension. Do you receive I'm, more money for your disability pension than the normal no, pension? No. No, no. And and if if you're on a disability pension and you own your own house mm. or your rent, it's the same. But they're giving the card. Now, let, let me just tell you. Well, I haven't got people, a lot of time, mate. We're at breakfast. So. I, I know, I know. On the disability pension, you are one of the most vulnerable people yes, in society. Yes, of course. Of course you right? are. Now, they're giving that card to people who have got more money that can't get the full pension. So they get a Commonwealth healthcare card. They're giving that $250 travel card to them, but to the most vulnerable people, they're not giving it to. Because when they set it up, I was told this by Rachel, who was the head of the transport team that put this card out. I spoke to her yesterday. Yeah. And, 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 and she. Well, how just... about, hang on, I'm going to put you back to Justin. How about I put you back to Justin? Give us Rachel's details, please. This woman on the phone, this Rachel, and find out exactly what the hell she's talking about. Um, because it doesn't sound right to me that if you're a, a disabled pensioner that you're not receiving this $250 seniors travel card. Hang on there, Keith, please. Uh, let's get his details there, Scruff, and let's get Rachel's details from the department and the number we need to call her on, and we'll get Rachel on the program tomorrow. The regional seniors travel card provides eligible seniors living in rural 
regional and remote areas of the state with a $250 prepaid card to help ease the cost of travel. You can use it at certain retailers to pay for pre-booked New South Wales train link regional trains and coaches, fuel and taxis. You'll need to activate your card before you can use it. It's valid for 14 months from the date the card is issued. The expiry date is available on the front of the card. Now, it's a wonderful initiative. Don't get me wrong, it's an absolutely outstanding commitment to seniors in regional New South Wales. I applaud the government for that. But my concern is, is that if people like Keith, who are disabled pensioners, can't use it in these regional areas, then what good is it? Because I would have thought those on the disability pension, disabled seniors in the state of New South Wales, would be the ones who would probably require this $250 prepaid card the most. They are the most vulnerable. These are the people most at risk. These are the people who would find it extremely difficult to travel to and from doctor's appointments, etc. Now, I wonder why uh, the department isn't allowing these people to use uh, taxpayer money to help them out. Is it because it's difficult? Is it because, you know, those with a disability require uh, perhaps a different form of transport? There's probably a reason. There's probably a reason. But I want to get to the bottom of it and find out exactly what it is because this is the third or fourth conversation I've had with Keith now and he's not getting anywhere with the state government. So we'll try on his behalf to find out exactly what's going on here. All righty, 13. I mean, if you can help us out too, by all means. 13 12 69, the telephone number, 13 12 69. Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, I've got to go to the news at 7.30. Then we'll come back and talk to you on the open line. And you can send us an email as well. MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. 2SM, Australia's king of talkback radio, John Laws, 9am weekdays. 2SM Sydney weather. Partly cloudy with a medium chance of showers today. Winds are south to southwesterly, shifting east to northeasterly this afternoon. We're heading for top temperatures of 25 degrees in the city and 27 in the west. Looking further ahead, mostly sunny Thursday, partly cloudy Friday, and showers with a possible storm on Saturday. At the moment in the city, it's 18, Bankstown 18, and Richmond 16. It's the latest news. I'm McKenna Savage. Now back to Marcus Paul in the morning on 2SM. Australia's only contemporary news talk radio program. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, welcome back to the program. 22 minutes away from 8. 13, 12, 69. Patients and staff across New South Wales have sounded the alarm about a crisis in the state of country hospitals telling of wards that look like they've been hit by tornadoes, hospitals requesting people bring their own bandages and doctors trying to mend broken bones over video link. Well, that is exactly why we have a parliamentary inquiry that's looking into the state of regional hospitals. And that's exactly why... There were people uh, who wanted or had to submit uh, and make submissions to this inquiry. Uh, the terms were extended. Uh, we, we talked about it extensively. I didn't shut up about it for, for weeks on end uh, late last year. I mean, what's going on here? The Herald only finally playing catch up on this. I mean, a parliamentary inquiry has been told... Lives are being endangered by an overburdened system plagued by chronic staff shortages. 
The victims included 92-year-old man sent away from hospital with a broken neck and a broken hill man whose cancer went undiagnosed for 15 months while he awaited an urgent colonoscopy. The inquiry has so far heard that Griffith-based hospital requested one patient's relatives bring their own bandages to dress a leg, a leg wound. That's in Griffith. <laughs> in the food hub of New South Wales, for goodness sake. The situation has become so dire that the We War Chamber of Commerce has warned a lack of health care is quote-unquote literally killing the town. While Gunnedah Shire Council said its doctors are so overstretched they are effectively running a crisis medical surface. The claims are contained in the first of around 500 submissions to a parliamentary inquiry into regional and rural health care published before a uh, before a public hearing in March. Look, in fairness to the Herald, I mean, they did shine the spotlight on this. Stories of uh, deaths at the Western Sydney, uh, sorry, the Western New South Wales local health district. And we talked about all of these, but I mean, several submissions noted Australian Institute of Health and Welfare stats showed 91 avoidable deaths for every 100,000 people in cities compared with 248 avoidable deaths in remote areas. So what's the Premier doing about this? What's the Health Minister doing about this? I know we're in the midst of a COVID-19 pandemic, but we cannot, we simply cannot allow health services in regional and rural New South Wales to remain at the state they're in. Absolutely cannot. 13 12 69, the telephone number to have you say. Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, by the way, today would have been the 71st birthday of the late Grant Goldman. Of course, we're broadcasting from Grant Goldman's studio here at 2SM in Sydney. Grant would have been 71 today. So we just wanted to say happy, heavenly birthday to you, Grant. And we'll be thinking of Grant's family and loved ones today here at 2SM. A couple of interesting stories on animals. Uh, Port Macquarie first, a landmark study into Australia's proposed first large national park dedicated to protecting koalas, has projected additional regional economic output of $1.2 billion over the next 15 years and $1.7 billion in biodiversity value. The proposed Great Koala National Park will add 175,000 hectares of native state forests to existing protected areas to establish a 315,000 hectare reserve on the mid-north coast. The site, which includes two koala metapopulations, would protect an area that is home to around 20% of the New South Wales koala population habitats. The proposed Great Koala National Park spans five local government areas, Bellingen, Clarence, at the Clarence Valley that is, Coffs Harbour, Kempsey and Nambucca, but it will not include the Port Macquarie Hastings. Meanwhile, ooh, an estimated 300,000 rats have been eradicated from Lord Howe Island off the coast. A $15.5 million baiting program was commenced around 18 months ago, with a rat sighting being recorded in the last 14 months, without a rat sighting. 
This has resulted, of course, I mean, the good news from all of this is that the results have seen the resurgence of flora and fauna on the island. What do you make of that, Lord Howe Island? No more rats. Sounds good to me. Alrighty, uh, here's a little bit of music. And in just a couple of moments as well, we're going to have a chat with our, our good mates from, uh, uh, of course, hang on there. Have we got her up there now, have we? Yeah, should we go now? Yeah, well, why don't we? Oh, no, I need to take a break here, Scruff. I'm so far behind at the moment. Um, oh, by the way, just in relation to uh, my caller in, uh, about the card, that is the Regional Seniors Travel Card, we will do some work on this. Um, the problem being, of course, if, you, if you're told by the state government you're not eligible, well, then quite simply you're not eligible. And I do feel for those who are perhaps uh, disabled and not getting adequate access to these kinds of, uh, I guess, these kinds of rebates, which should be available to everybody. They shouldn't exclude those who are disabled or on disability pensions. But the bottom line is if you're told by the state government you're not eligible, you're simply not. And I I do feel sorry for my earlier caller on this. Uh, But we will get the department on and explain exactly why. Okay, so you're not eligible, you're not eligible. But there's got to be a reason. And we'll try and push to get an answer. All right, 13, 12, 69. Julian Hill, MP, will join us on the program in just a couple of moments. So we'll do that. Uh, and uh, we're also uh, going to be uh, after... Uh, what else is coming up there, Scruff? I've lost my notes here. I'm floundering around in the dark. It's been one of those mornings. really has. <laughs> we're a little unresourced, under-resourced at this program. Uh, Alex from The Big Smoke. Here we go. Alex will join us very soon as well from thebigsmoke.com.au. And then after 8 o'clock this morning, Kristen O'Connell, who's the spokesperson for the Australian Unemployed Workers Union... We'll have a chat about the proposal, of course, to wind back the job seeker amount to the original 40 bucks a day. Are they serious? Who on earth can live on 40 bucks a day? Sydney's own 2SM 1269. Broadcasting live from the Grant Goldman Studio. You're listening to Marcus Paul. All right, 11 to 8. Happy heavenly 75th birthday to Grant Goldman. Uh, Yes, Grant would have been 71 today and our thoughts are with family and friends and uh, the the listeners who enjoyed Grant's program for nearly two decades here on 2SM and the Super Radio Network. 13 12 69, our telephone number if you would like to have your say. Uh, Look, this bloke's come back with us uh, and I'm a little bit annoyed about it, I've got to say. Thanks, Marcus, to you and your mates that answers your phone. Thanks for fobbing me off without getting the full and correct details of the problem that vulnerable disability pensioners of age, pension age, have getting the New South Wales Seniors Travel Card. Well, hang on a minute, mate. (laughs) If you're that difficult with people who are trying to help you, I mean, I I put you to wear twice on the Laws show. I spoke to you again this morning. Uh, It's the same story, and yes, (laughs) you've been told you're not eligible. I agree with you that it's probably not right, but if you're not eligible, you're not eligible. We called Service New South Wales. We'll try and get somebody on from Service New South Wales to tell us exactly why you're not eligible. 
Uh, and I agree with you that it must be extremely difficult. But for $250 for a voucher um, that you claim it's unfair you're not getting, if you're being difficult with us while we're trying to help you, I can just imagine how difficult you've been with Service New South Wales. Perhaps you need to adjust your attitude a little bit. People don't want to help people who are nasty. And you seem to be coming across as a little nasty. You've been given plenty of air time. And we've asked other people to ring. And we, the best we can do is try and talk to Service New South Wales on your behalf. Which we will do despite your rudeness. Alrighty, Julian Hill. Morning, Julian. G'day, Marcus. How are you, boss? Oh, terrific. And it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, have I, sp- I haven't spoken to you, I don't think, in the New Year. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you and all your listeners. We're back into it here in Canberra. Absolutely. Uh, why won't ScoMo call out the crazy nut jobs on Craig Kelly's uh, Facebook page, and Craig Kelly in particular? All the others who are pushing these conspiracy theories in relation to uh, COVID-19 miracle cures... I mean, while this goes on, the longer it will take Australia to recover from COVID-19, I mean, for goodness sake, Craig Kelly, he's not a doctor. Even the Prime Minister said so. So why doesn't he address Craig Kelly in a more, I don't know, severe manner, considering where, how much money are we spending? Uh, I think it's 23-odd million dollars to sell the COVID-19 vaccine. Why are we spending taxpayer money on this when you've got a very senior government minister who won't shut up about the thing not being effective? Well, it's a complete failure of leadership by the Prime Minister. Now, Craig Kelly's a clown. Everyone knows that. Your listeners know that. People are not <laughs> fools. But he's a dangerous menace. There is nothing more important at the moment in this country than getting this vaccine response right. And he's a threat to our COVID response. Your listeners would know there's already anxiety over the vaccines. People are spending money and effort trying to reassure the community based on science. Yet the Prime Minister's own captain pick, this loony MP is out there undermining public confidence, spreading dangerous conspiracy theories. It was only a few months ago he was preaching Donald Trump's kooky remedies, you know, inject yourself with bleach and unproven drugs. Uh, The Prime Minister, it's way past time, he needs to haul him in. And it's a good question. Uh, I don't know why he won't haul him in. Either he agrees with him or he's just weak. Um, Yesterday, or two days ago, at the National Press Club, the Prime Minister said that Craig Kelly was doing a great job. I mean, seriously, this man is dangerous. Well, I don't get it. I mean, we're spending all of this taxpayer money to promote uh, people getting a jab, etc. And yet we've got a very senior minister with a, you know, with a big following on social media, I guess, who's going against the grain. (laughs) Well, he's got 90,000 Twitter followers and, you know, it's a free country. People can listen to who they like. But this is not about freedom of speech. You know, the Prime Minister bats it away and says, oh, it's freedom of speech. It's not. This guy's a government MP. You have to be held to a higher standard if you're going to sit in the government party room. He's not a one-nation loony or an independent nutbag senator. He's a government MP, and the Prime Minister has to take responsibility for the words that come out of his mouth when they're this far off the reservation that's actually doing harm to the Australian people, undermining public confidence in the vaccine. And, you know, we spoke, I think, last time we spoke, actually, Marcus, we were talking about the US capital riots. And, uh, you know, we've seen in the United States where this kind of stuff leads. If conspiracy theories are not called out by leaders and they're 
enabled and tolerated by leaders like the Prime Minister, then we've seen it leads to mad right-wing extremism and violence in our society. It's got to stop. Well, I agree. Uh, I just want to play something here for you. Um, You'll be able to hear it, Julian, in the background. I'll get your thoughts on it in relation to Craig Kelly. As spreaders of misinformation are banned from social media, there's only one man you can turn to for reliable untruths. Craig Kelly. There has been complete abandonment of reason. The most trusted man in lies is backing up every ill-conceived social media post and every awful conspiracy to his own website, craiganon.com. <laughs> For just $1 a week, you can get all the posts that Craig Kelly will soon be banned from posting publicly at craiganon.com, where he'll be posting anonymously under the nom de plume Craig Kelly MP. But how will you know it's Craig? Posts will be unhinged, misspelt and recycled from his Sky News rants. If you look at the peer-reviewed numbers, we're going to have pestilence and plague. The seven seas are going to sort of boil and rise. Because there's only one thing better than free speech, and that speech so free it's untethered to reality. Sign up to craiganon.com because the cost of free speech should be $1 a week. Craiganon proceeds will go towards Craig Kelly's Senate run in 2021 so he can be a Craig upon both your houses. Now that's a satirical skit on the ridiculousness of this bloke. Surely the Prime Minister needs to rein him in. Oh, look, I agree. I mean, on one level, yes, it's funny listening to it, but it's a serious business. Yes. This guy, Craig Kelly, is a Liberal Party member of the government. The Prime Minister backed him in. The only reason he's in the Parliament still is because Scott Morrison wanted him here. Why did Scott Morrison want him here? That's, that's one of the mysteries. Does he agree with these views that he tolerates and, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink? Or is he just too weak? He's a fake fail marketing guy. Is he just too weak to actually call out the nutters in his government and rein them in? That's a question for the Prime Minister. And so far he's ducked it. He just said, oh, yeah, Craig Kelly's doing a great job. Well, that's not good enough. All right, mate. Good to chat. Um, Sorry to rush you this morning because we are a bit busy, but let's talk further on this. Uh, Have a great day and uh, all the best in the trenches there in the nation's capital, Julian. You too, mate. All right, there he is. Julian Hill MP, uh, talking common sense as always. And now on Marcus Paul in the Morning, Alex in the Big Smoke. All right, welcome back. Five minutes after eight, 13, 12, 69, our telephone number on this Wednesday, Feb 3. Hello, Alex. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. What is on your mind? Are you uh, travelling okay? Uh, we're not wearing masks anymore around most of our shopping centres. Are you still masking up anyway? Or I mean, look, if I'm going to go to a, a crowded area, I probably would still wear a mask. Yeah. Um, but I don't tend to go to crowded areas often, so um, mm. with more meetings and things like that, which we usually sit a bit further apart. I sit as far away from people as I can. All right. Now, Australian sports fans will be able to access top-tier events on their devices at a heavily discounted price. Big story today, there's a a landmark deal, apparently, between Foxtel's KO Sports and Telstra. But, I mean, that's making news. But this story's interesting. How old-school television channels are starting to gain favour with young people over streaming services like Netflix. What's going on here? Well, it has a lot to do with the concept of um, being exhausted by choices. You know, we, we talk a lot about people feeling like they just have to sit there and figure out what they're going to watch, what they're going to binge watch this weekend. And over time, <laughs> it becomes exhausting and less enjoyable. So, so a lot of young people are actually going back 
to just having the TV on, sitting in front of the TV for dinner and whatever's on is what they watch. And it's becoming such a big thing that a lot of the streaming services are now having on-demand um, options which is called a, a, like a shuffle function. So basically they'll show you what they think you should watch just simply because this is what's happening at the moment. Well, that's annoying. I don't want to be shown by Netflix, who I've subscribed to, what they think I should watch. I mean, I'm happy to make up my own mind. Sure, but I think that for a lot of people who maybe just haven't decided what they want to watch, there's not a single show that they've not seen yet or, or maybe they're just exhausted from choosing. I mean, I think a lot of us have been in that position <laughs> Come where on, you're trying to find Alex. something. Watch. Hey, this is data. This is people controlled. Oh, Millions Alex, of people who gets exhausted? Hang on, hang on. Who gets exhausted from deciding what bloody television show <laughs> they're going to watch? not as if they're out there digging a ditch, for goodness sake, or <laughs> pushing a shovel around. Or... It's exhausting to decide which Netflix... And do and you know what the thing is? Netflix actually brought out the shuffle function, which is all based on the AI behind what they think you're going to like. So, look, this is this is something that's the move forward. This is what people are doing at the moment, and this is how streaming services are adapting. I get it. I'm just stirring you. But, I, I mean, really? You're ex- people are exhausted from I just, deciding <laughs> what bloody television show they're going to watch? Talk about <laughs> snowflakes. All right. Pandemic. How a new brain interface could potentially help us edit our feelings using what? Biosensor hardware, which could mean that you can easily turn off feelings that are uncomfortable. Oh, gee, I'd like that. Tell me about, yes. tell me more. So this is a brain-computer interface, um, and it's basically a headset. That it, it initially it's been created to make video games more immersive and interactive. Yeah. Um, but over time, this could actually be something that helps repair how we view reality. So, for example, if you consider that you can change the way a player in a game views reality and that those visual cues over time that can actually be the something that you can do in, in real life so this is a biosensor hardware company they mm-hmm. believe that this is a, um, a high resolution brain signal that reads technologies through the headsets yeah. and that over time they'll be able to um, ed- create experiences in your brain and then ed- ultimately edit how you feel now this would require a lot of ethical debate and also issues around security and trust in the product. But over time, it could be something that people could use for improved sleep and also to control unwanted feelings that um, that actually impact someone's day-to-day life. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just um, I'm having a look here at the Starship SN flight test uh, over in the United States. One of the rockets went up, and we know what goes up must come down, but they were hoping it had come down probably a lot later than what it did. It's just gone up, it's done a pirouette and then crashed back down to Earth. I've just seen that, just popped up some breaking news there. All right, well, I'll get more detail on that. MIT have found that fact-checking can be counterintuitive, especially when it comes to social media, and it all comes down to timing, not the actual facts. Yes. So this had a lot to do with whether or not somebody was aware that what they were reading was false or true based on the headline. So um, essentially it was a study that was done where they were given a series of articles and they found that over time you were more likely to understand and, and believe that something was fake if you read that it was a false fact after the headline um, as opposed to prior. <laughs> yes. So you were more likely to actually spot inaccuracy. So it really has to do with the timing around when somebody is aware that something's false. And with so much misinformation and confusion around tagging, and I think one of the biggest mistakes Facebook has made is when it comes to their fact-checking software, because there's so many discrepancies in the way it works, including not being able to pick up satire, people don't really pay that much attention to it or take it too seriously. All right. uh, Look, I want to 
end on this note. First word response, first word that comes to your mind. And I'm, I'm hovering over the dump button for this one. First word response, please, Alex, from the Big Smoke. Craig Kelly. Oi. <laughs> okay. Oi. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Is that Italian for, I don't know, dangerous? <laughs> Not Italian, but yeah, I did just like, oh dear. Mm. All right, where do we go for all these wonderful stories? Thebigsmoke.com.au. Have a great week, mate. We'll talk next Thanks. week. All righty. Welcome back, 131269. In just a moment, uh, we'll go to the Australian Unemployed Workers Union's Kristen O'Connell. Could you survive on $40 a day? Look, job start or job seeker, whatever you want to call it, it can't go back to its original 40 bucks a day. Just impossible. Anyway, we'll get some detail on that. Meantime, Dave, morning, mate. What did one eye say to the other? What did one eye say to the other, Dave? Between you and me, something smells. Oh, go on. It's quarter past eight. If you feel you something to say Go and do it right away Pick up the phone Get on the line 13, 12, 69 Don't wait Do it tomorrow Get up Do it right away Call them on his Call 13 12 69, the telephone number, if you'd like to have you say. Look, more and more um, vision is coming out about this uh, rocket, this SpaceX rocket that's exploded, uh, what, 10 seconds after lifting off this morning in the United States. I don't have full detail here, but I don't think anybody... Was it unmanned? I think it was. Uh, that's the Starship S9 flight test. Yeah, unmanned, but gee whiz. Boom. Talk about a massive explosion. Absolutely incredible. All righty. Uh, by the way, I see that Sydney siders have been fleeing for regional parts of New South Wales, Queensland, and even Canberra. Nothing wrong with Canberra. Canberra's beautiful. And they're using the coronavirus pandemic to look for work and affordable housing outside the nation's most expensive city. During the September quarter, Around seven or nearly 8,000 people left the Greater Sydney region, three in five of them moving to regional parts of New South Wales. That's according to new data from the Australian Bureau of Stats. So there we go. Melbourne lost around nearly 7,500 residents, which along with Sydney's figures resulted in capital cities nationally losing 11,200 people to regional areas. The biggest quarterly movement out of metropolitan Australia on record. So in other words, for the first time in living memory, more and more people seem to be fleeing our biggest and most expensive cities of Sydney and Melbourne. Forty bucks a day, hey? New start, that's what it used to be called. It's the old dole. Now it's being referred to as job seeker. We know the government doubled it during the pandemic and it's slowly being tiered off, probably heading back towards some $40 a day. 
impossible to live off, say many within the social services industry, so to speak. And I agree. Pauline Hanson and others that we have on this program also agree. Maybe it should sit at around 70 to $75 a day. Let's speak to the union involved, the Australian Unemployed Workers Union's Kristen O'Connell. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having us. My pleasure. I couldn't survive on $40 a day not living in a city like Sydney. No, absolutely. And in fact, you know, there are different price uh, price pressures everywhere. So if you're living in a regional area, your food may must cost more than living in the city. And of course, we know rents in cities, particularly like Sydney, are extraordinarily unaffordable. Well, let's be honest. If you're living in Sydney and you're renting, there's no way on earth you will able to... You just can't make it work. I mean, the rent itself is usually more than what the uh, the Dole or Newstart, etc. is. I mean, I know it's it's been increased. But what are some of the pressures facing uh, people who are unemployed when it comes to meeting their commitments? Well, before uh, the coronavirus supplement was introduced last year, um, there were... Rep- there was research done to show that eight out of ten unemployed people surviving on Job Seeker were regularly skipping meals. So, as you said, rents are extraordinarily high. Most people still need a place to live, and although there is a large proportion of people or a large number of homeless people trying to live on these payments, um, those of us who are fortunate to have a roof over our head essentially just go without everything else. That creates internet poverty. It means people fall behind on their bills. It means if you have a car and when that car breaks down, of course you can't afford to repair it, which is just another barrier to trying to find a job. Yeah, it's a vicious circle. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And I mean, ultimately, we can't have a system that remains at the current rate, I think. Uh, I mean, even though it is quite generous, um, there's a safety net in place during the pandemic. Uh, but there are concerns by yourself and others that it may eventually fall back to some $40 a day. What would the union, that is the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, consider to be a, a reasonable daily rate, if you like? Well, the first thing I would say is that the current rate, and indeed when it was at its uh, height during the coronavirus pandemic of about $1,100, actually isn't actually isn't generous at all. We're talking about the poverty line. So it was the first time that people have been brought up to the poverty line. And our view is that no one living on a social security payment should be living in poverty. The government forcing its citizens to live in poverty when they are reliant on these payments because there are not enough jobs is just absolutely immoral. And of course, we need to remember that the government's target unemployment rate is between five and six percent. So that means they're literally planning for about a million people and their families to be reliant on these payments indefinitely. So everybody needs a, a, to be able to afford to eat, to have regular meals, a safe place to live, access medical and dental care, which is another major expense that people oh, just yes. can't afford. And so long-term health impacts are really awful. We know people get um, worse and worse physical and mental health effects the longer they have to try and survive on these payments. So we say if the government's plan is to have a million people and their kids living on these payments, that they must make sure we live at least at the poverty line so that we can get by day to day until we're fortunate enough to find work. All right. Now, I just want to uh, just come back to my original question, and I I don't disagree and I can't argue Mm -hmm. with what you're saying. Kristen, but let's be honest, in reality, it's highly unlikely that the government will stick with this roughly $1,100 per fortnight, which you and I both agree is, you know, sitting at the poverty line, for goodness sake. 
given that, that there'll need to be compromise, if you were to pick another figure of a daily rate, some, including One Nation's Pauline Hanson on this program, have suggested $75 a day. I mean, I think I know what the answer will be. It's not enough. But what sort of compromise would you perhaps be happy with? Or wouldn't you be happy with any compromise? Um, well, of course, we, you know, we uh, will be extremely happy to get any increase. However, we will not advocate for anything less than the poverty line, although yes. I note that the poverty line is about $80 a day, so $75 a day is really not far off it. And, in fact, you know, that's significantly more than the government has cut the payment to at its current level. It's about $50 a day. Yes. So, of course, that would take off quite a bit of pressure for people trying to survive on these payments. Um, but, no, we will not advocate for less than we know yeah. is necessary for people to survive. All right. It's great having you on. We'll talk further on this uh, once we get more uh, indication from the federal government which way they're going to go. Kristen, it's great to speak to you. Take care and thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Kristen O'Connell there, spokesperson for the Australian Unemployed Workers' Union. What do you make of it? Do you believe that, well, I mean, I think it's a little optimistic for them to perhaps consider, well, wanting the government to consider going back to the pra- uh, the pandemic rate of around $1,100 per fortnight. It was very generous, I think, um, even though, obviously, she disagrees with me, Kristen. Um, but when, when she puts it in context, saying that's poverty line, and should governments force unemployed Australians to live below the poverty line? Well, that's a very good point as well. A very good point. Maybe that figure that some have suggested of around $75 to $80 a day would be the compromise point. Do you agree, disagree? Give me a call, 13 12 69. I like it. I like In 2021, 2SM has Sydney talking. All right, now... You can get a new custom-made design website at a special low price from List Designs. Good to have Lisa back as one of our regular uh, clients here at 2SM and the Marcus Paul in the Morning Breakfast program. From small and medium-sized businesses to entrepreneurs, startups and long-term family businesses, well, List Designs are your website experts. And because they work from home with List Designs, there are no expensive premises, so you don't pay for any fancy overheads. Lisa at List Designs gives you the attention that you need at a price that you can afford. You'll get a website from List Designs that's functional, looks fantastic and will be at a fraction of the price you'd pay some other web designers. Give Lisa a call at List Designs and ask about this special offer, a new 10-page website tailor-made to your specific needs from just 400 bucks. That's a new 10-page website with all the bells and the whistles customised to exactly match the needs of your small business from just $400. But you better hurry, as this offer will not last forever. Contact Lisa at listdesigns.com.au. That's L-I-S-D-E-S-I-G-N-S dot com dot A-U. Or you can call Lisa and have a chat about all your website needs. The number 0422-356-850. Got it? That's 04. 04- 
All righty, Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, we're going to go to the news at 8.30. When we come back, uh, Christina in the capital, not too far away. Uh, of course, a big day yesterday in Canberra with the return of federal parliaments, um, the House of Reps and the Senate as well. Uh, we'll find out what's on the agenda today with Christina, not too far away. Look, I see that more and more residents in New South Wales are getting out onto the water. As a result, the official handbook has been revamped and is now available in an online format. Now, the handbook... <laughs> we need a handbook? Yeah, well, apparently, of course we do. I mean, it's it basically... It's a government guide to how to be safe on the water. And given the spate of drownings and problems we've had over summer, unfortunately, again, it's very important. The handbook explores topics such as staying safe on waterways, life jackets and safety equipment. Chris Carmichael from Transport for New South Wales says new boaties need to be prepared. Yeah, there's a lot of novice new skippers out there. Aye, aye, Captain. And they don't really have a clue what knottage is all about. If you feel you got something to say, go and do it right away. Pick up the phone, get on the line. 13, 12, 69. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. Catherine, good morning. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And you? Good, Catherine. Thank you for holding on through the news. What did you want to talk about? I wanted to talk about uh, the forty-dollar job seeker a day and point yeah. out to the people that Johnny Howard froze the payment in nineteen ninety-six. We're not living in nineteen ninety-six, and the payment's going to cause a lot. You know, when it drops. We're going to see far more people lose their homes, become homeless. Yeah. But in the cash or debit card regions, we're already seeing that mm. with the barriers to getting housing because they're on the card. But then the, the drop in the payments, are, um, people can't live on it. You can't fill a trolley full of food. You can't pay a rental. Well, as the, uh, the spokesperson for the Australian Unemployed Workers Union said this morning, Kristen, she said basically the government is almost asking people to live below the poverty line and she reckons that the $1,100 a day, $1,100 a day, don't we wish, $1,100 a fortnight, which was uh, the highest amount during the pandemic, is pretty much spot on. But let's be honest, we know the government won't do that. I mean, what do you think is a compromise? Around that um, $80 um, a day, perhaps? Around the $80 a day at least because yeah. I agree with her in the fact that it needs to come up to at least the poverty line because if it hadn't been frozen by Johnny Howard, that's what it would have been anyway today. And when they announced that they were going to give that COVID stimulus payment, um, they actually admitted when you know that this is our economic stabiliser and because the payments are so low, Social Security is not mm. able to do its job, which is to keep people out of destitution, to keep cash oh, flows right. going through businesses so that they can keep employing people. 
Well, we've got a whole new section of people now, thanks to COVID, that have never been in this situation. They're facing losing their homes because it, our system is an asset-stripping system. Just go back to the comment you made in relation to Social Security and, you know, the net that was set up. I mean, and I agree, there's no points in having a social security system that doesn't allow people to pay the basics. I mean, it's supposed to be a fallback and it's supposed to be a safety net for disadvantaged and vulnerable Australians. Now, if you say 80 bucks a day, 560 a week, that's $1,120 a fortnight. Uh, I can't see that happening, unfortunately. No, I can't see them doing it, but there's, you know, and that's a political choice. Mm. I mean, effectively doubling the dole. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I'd love to see it happen. I mean, we should be able to. I mean, for goodness sake, if you know, if we can, if we can manage to at least value add some of the uh, uh, resources and minerals we dig out of the ground that's owned by all Australians, and we earn more money for, you know, selling off gas and all the other assets that we have, uh, surely uh, we'd be able to afford it if we just went that way with it. I think so. I think it's yeah. um, uh, the government is just abandoning the average person. All right. Um, Catherine, I've got so to go, and I appreciate your call, a really good call on this, and I know it's a big issue. And let's talk further on it. Thank you, 13 12 69. <laughs> On Marcus Paul in the morning, the Queen Bee of the newsroom, yes, Diane Coveney Gar. Hey, Di, how are you? Hello, very well, thank you. All right. Uh, by the way, it's eighteen minutes away from the Law Show at nine o'clock. Now, what's going on in Canberra? There's been a bit of a spat. Oh, there has, there has. So Tanya Plibersek yeah. was being interviewed. Uh, I understand by Sky, mm-hmm. and uh, she was sort of standing there doing talking about this and that, and then yeah. Craig Kelly came up. And started to say, and she basically had a crack at Craig Kelly and said, look, you know, people shouldn't be listening to him. Then she said, you know, my mother lives in your electorate Mm. and you're telling people all of this nonsense about um, not getting vaccinated, that sort of thing. Let's have a listen. Yeah. Let's have a listen. Uh, Craig Kelly interrupting Tanya Plibersek uh, live on air with Sky. Well, it's beyond time. The Prime Minister told Craig Kelly to just shut up. We have spent or we're spending... $24 million on a campaign to tell people to get vaccinated and we've got a taxpayer-funded nong running around telling people not to. (laughs) He needs to shut up and if the Prime Minister had any spine, he would tell him to do so. You're making any big announcements? Yes, I'm actually... I'm actually telling them that the people Barry, can Barry, stop Barry. you screaming at the ladies and gentlemen. Did you hear about Professor Clancy? You've got to listen to our most senior immunologist, Tanya. It's Professor Robert Clancy. Yeah. Listen to him. Go and get his stuff. Read what he's saying, and you'll find my, out. And then you can come and apologise to us. Uh, it's okay. My, my, my mum lives in your electorate, and I don't okay. want her exposed to people. Well, that's okay. who I'm not well, going to be well, listen, vaccinated listen to because of these crazy conspiracy well, theories you. that you're spreading. Well, you're the one doing that because you are the one spreading this information. Right? You've oh. got to listen to listen to the professors, listen to our most senior immunologists. And so, he so says, your prime minister is wrong, says, is he? No, prime minister is 100 percent right. He agrees with I'm you. I'm saying you Scott are Morrison, wrong. Scott listen, Morrison agrees listen, with you. Does he? Crazy? 
listen to what I'm not up to. My Prime Minister will speak for himself. Okay? I agree with your Prime Minister and your Health Minister, do you? Well, of course I agree with my Prime Minister and my so Health Minister. So people should get vaccinated? Absolutely. Of course, Tanya, should everyone should go to their doctor. Uh, young children, Tanya, should not wear masks. Oh. And, that's, and that is what our health officers it's, have decided. Is it right? child abuse? Our health officers. Oh, oh, forget oh, listening to Mark Butler. Forget listening to Albo. These blokes have got no oh, idea. I, I They've got to follow the science. From your Health Minister and science. your Chief Medical Officer. But, ah, yes. I mean, she just said very clearly at the end, and I take the advice from your chief health minister mm-hmm. and your health minister. Yeah. This bloke's unhinged. <laughs> what? And the word of the day is nong. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Nong. Yeah. Wow. Look, we're going to put that audio up on our, our Facebook site uh, for you to have a listen to again. I, I can't believe it. I, I honestly can't believe it. Mm. Uh, I mean, yes. Uh, we should be discussing and debating vaccines and all the rest of it, uh, and I don't have an issue with that, but a very senior member of the federal government should not be espousing conspiracy theories which go against the advice of his own party, his own colleagues, the health minister and the prime minister and others, and yet no one's pulling him up on it from his side. I guarantee this won't be the last we hear of it. You don't reckon? No. All right. Uh, well, as uh, Julian Hill MP said on the program earlier this morning, I mean, he was a captain's pick, if you like. I wonder what Craig <laughs> Kelly knows. <laughs> what, what, are, what are those skeletons in ScoMo's closet, Craig? Tell us. <laughs> All right, then. Thanks, thanks Di. There you go. Uh, Diane Coveney-Garland, our Queen Bee of the Newsroom, uh, with that exclusive. Now, what we'll do, uh, we'll put that audio up on our Facebook page for you to have a listen to. <laughs> And have your comment on. I'm sure it'll uh, it'll go down very well. Marcus Paul in the morning. Now on Marcus Paul in the morning. I have always believed in miracles. The latest from the capital with Christina Rosengren. All right, ten to nine. Christina, good morning. How are you? Well, thank you, Marcus. How are you? All right. Thank you very much. We just played a little bit of this audio. I just want to replay it and then get your thoughts on it. Um, Tanya Plibersek, who was being interviewed on Sky, has clashed with uh, the anti-vaxxer, <laughs> with this Craig Kelly. Here we go again. Well, it, it's beyond time. The Prime Minister told Craig Kelly to just shut up. I mean, we have spent, or we're spending... million on a campaign to tell people to get vaccinated and we've got a taxpayer-funded nong running around telling people not to. He needs to shut up and if the Prime Minister had any spine, he would tell him to do so. You're making any big announcements? Yes, I'm actually... I'm actually telling them that the people are going to stop you spreading these crazy theories. Did you hear about Professor Clancy? You've got to listen to our most most senior immunologist, Tanya. It's Professor Robert Clancy. Listen to him. Go and get his stuff. Read what he's saying, and you'll find out. And then you can come and apologise to us. Uh, okay. My my, my mum lives in your electorate, and I don't want her exposed to people who are not going to be vaccinated because of these crazy conspiracy theories that you're spreading. Well, you're the one doing that because you are the one spreading this information. Right? You've got to listen to listen to the professors, listen to our most senior immunologists. So so your prime minister is wrong, is he? No, prime minister is 100% right. He agrees with you. I'm saying you are wrong. Scott Morrison agrees with you. Does he? 
right? Listen to what I'm not up to. My Prime Minister will speak for himself. Okay? I agree with your Prime Minister and your Health Minister, do you? Well, of course I agree with my Prime Minister and my so Health Minister. So people should get vaccinated? Absolutely. Of course, Tanya, should everyone should go to their doctor. Uh, young children, Tanya, should not wear masks. Oh. And, that's, and that is what our health officers it's, have decided. Is it right? child abuse? Our health officers. Oh, forget oh, listening please. to Mark Butler. Forget listening to Alba. These blokes have got no oh, idea. I, I They've got to follow the science. From your Health Minister and your Chief Medical Officer. Okay, please. All right, Christina. It's getting willing there inside uh, the federal parliamentary building. Yes, it certainly is. It reminds me of uh, the time last year when uh, uh, Joel Fitzgibbon, Barnaby Joyce, had a similar kind of tiff in the hallways. And uh, I think it's quite uh, ironic that Mr Kelly is telling Ms Plibersek to listen to the professors and has accused her of spreading this information. But uh, yeah. his, his misinformation on social media has certainly been a major topic of discussion this week. Oh, absolutely. All right, Labor's announced it will not support the government's IR omnibus bill. Yes, so Labor made this decision yesterday following a caucus meeting. And one of the main issues the opposition has with this bill is the changes to the better off overall test. Now, the better off overall test or boot is uh, basically a measure to ensure that new workplace deals agreed to by employers and employees don't leave workers worse off than the current arrangement that they're under. But in the government's industrial relations reforms, it's going to allow employers struggling because of the pandemic to negotiate deals that don't have to meet that test. So Labor is concerned that leaves the door open to cutting workers' pay and conditions. Now, previously, Industrial Relations Minister Christian Porter has indicated that the government would drop that exemption if need be in order to secure the bill's passage. But Finance Minister Simon Birmingham commented yesterday that no amendments will be made before yeah. a Senate committee hands down its final report on the legislation next month. And I'll just mention that there will be some more Senate inquiry hearings into this bill next week. So uh, Labor has some other concerns with this bill, though, including rights for casuals and other things. So it's kind of indicated it's not looking for reforms. It doesn't support the bill as a whole. The Attorney General, Christian Porter, has countered by accusing the ALP of having its head stuck in an ideological rear vision mirror. So I think there's uh, one thing is for certain, and that's uh, the fact that industrial relations reforms will be one of the policy battlegrounds for this year. Oh, absolutely. IR is big. Now, the PM is set to take part in the Pacific Islands Forum. Uh, There'll be discussions about vaccinations. Yes. So uh, Scott Morrison, he's going to be joining uh, 17 other leaders for this online uh, Pacific Islands Forum. Uh, As you mentioned, vaccines will be one of the major points of discussion. And, And one of the main points related to that is sort of the timing and logistics of the vaccine rollout in the Pacific. So Australia has committed $200 million to help with this rollout, along with $80 million for the Gavi COVAX facility's advanced market commitment, and that provides vaccines to high groups, high uh, vulnerable groups in eligible uh, countries, which includes the Pacific. So Mr Morrison says he's looking forward to today's meeting, and then they'll be discussing discussing that along with other sort of health and economic challenges related to the pandemic. I'll also quickly mention that Mr Morrison spoken with German Chancellor Angela Merkel recently about the importance of vaccine delivery and supply chains, and that's because the EU has voted to give itself the power to block shipments of vaccines due to right. supply shortages, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that's all tangled up with the claims that vaccine suppliers aren't able to provide as many vaccines as quickly as first promised yeah. to the EU. And, uh, and so that could actually halt or, or impact on Australia's supply of vaccines as well. All right. Finally, just briefly, the Auditor General is opening an investigation into the JobKeeper program. We know that Andrew Lee on our program has been calling for this for a long time now. 
That's exactly right. So uh, the Auditor-General is uh, opening up an investigation into JobKeeper on, uh, at the behest of uh, a Labour frontbencher, Andrew Lee. And that's because he's concerned that these wage subsidies are being misused by some big companies to pay dividends or executive bonuses. So there's been companies that have uh, been eligible for the scheme, uh, and uh, but then they've also reported uh, they've reported that drop in sales to be eligible, but then they've ended up having a resurgence and becoming oh, yeah. profitable again. Mm. And they've, uh, in that time, also paid out dividends and, and executive bonuses. So Mr Lee is really questioning whether they needed that taxpayer money yep. and uh, the Auditor-General will now also be looking at this, including whether the tax office uh, effectively administered rules for this scheme. Well, absolutely. Uh, I mean, JobKeeper was designed to keep people in jobs, not pay executive bonuses for companies that made a profit during the pandemic. Christina, great to talk to you. Let's catch up again tomorrow. Let's hope it continues to be as willing as it ha- as it has been this morning between Tanya Plibersek and Craig Kelly. It's great stuff. Yes. All right, <laughs> Thank mate. You. Thank you. Christina in the capital. Marcus Paul in the morning.